1: Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here. I thought that was a really fun conversation. Uh, we sat down with Lincoln Day, uh, who is new to the Middle Tech team. Uh, he studied economics or agricultural economics UK, and then immediately went into commercialization within the ag tech industry uh, with his own project as well as studying others and helping others, you know, commercialize uh, into the ecosystem here in Kentucky, where we're trying to create the ag tech capital of the world. Um, So this was really a conversation about ag tech and Kentucky as it relates to, you know, how we're working on changing that space. Uh, Lincoln knows a lot about it. He's been in the the weeds in that space for a long time. So it was just fun. Just fun conversation. Yeah. I mean, you know, with With ag tech and as big as it's
0: getting in this state, one of the major pieces of feedback we're getting from our audience is, hey, we want you guys to talk about ag tech more often. Uh, and you know, Evan and I, we, we talked to a lot of people who are in AgTech, tech and the team you know is, is surrounded by those people as well, but we don't have that domain experience that we'd want somebody who's actively talking about it frequently to have, uh, which is where Lincoln comes into the picture. So Lincoln's come on the team to, uh, have a focus on that ag tech content. We're super excited about that. So this conversation really just lays the groundwork and kind of gives you guys an idea for the type of content Lincoln's going to be creating. Uh, so you can tell very quickly from this conversation, Lincoln knows what he's talking about. Uh, he's been in the space he's seen what's going on and uh, he has some really good thoughts about where the entire industry is is heading so we got to talk about everything from early agricultural technology and where the how the space has evolved, especially in Kentucky. Uh, we talk about app harvest, um, the good things, the things we're skeptical about. Uh, we talk about what the state government is doing well in, in regards to ag tech and what they could be improving upon. So if you've been following along with what App Harvest is doing and uh, you're bought into Kentucky being the new ag tech capital of the world, this episode's for you. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it, and we're really excited for you guys to listen. But before we dive into that, as we always do, we want to get a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Land Betterment. Land Betterment is doing some incredible work throughout Appalachia and eastern Kentucky as they are taking abandoned strip mines and putting sustainable businesses in their place. These businesses not only provide a useful repurposing of the land, but they also provide great jobs to replace the mining jobs that were lost when the mine was shut down. To learn more about Land Betterment, you can listen to our interview with their founders, Mark Jensen and Kirk Taylor, on episode 97, or visit their website at
1: landbetterment.com. We're also sponsored by Airwing Ventures. Airwing helps determined entrepreneurs seeking resources to grow with capital and connections in order to build successful companies and impactful legacies. They're all about high growth companies, high growth careers, and high growth communities. I've personally known Dan Beldy for about four years now and I've seen the work he's been doing in the community and we should all feel very blessed and grateful that a VC like himself is here in Kentucky. I encourage you to connect with Airwing and learn more Let's all grow this state together. You can reach out to Dan at info at airwing.vc or dan at airwing.vc. And their website is www.airwing.vc. We're sitting down with Middletech's latest addition to the team. We're very excited about it. Uh, We are, as we said in the intro, putting a focus on AgTech, and that is something that is growing very quickly in Kentucky. There's been a lot of focus on it uh, because of App Harvest and several other companies uh, that are growing here in the state, so we wanted to bring somebody on that has some expertise in that area, and here we're sitting with Lincoln Day, so thanks for joining yeah, thanks for having me. Um,
2: working on the expertise part, but certainly have a good interest in, and in a little bit of experience. So
0: I'm glad to be here. Thank you all for having me, and ready to get to work. I think uh, I think that's everyone here. Nobody can really claim to be a pure expert on anything, but that's kind of the beauty of the podcast is that we're all learning as we're doing it. So that allows us to ask some maybe some questions that I, that an expert would look at as dumb questions, but there are no dumb questions on middle tech. Yeah, is, is kind of how I look at it. Yeah. Um. So let's start. I would love to hear the story of how you got connected to middle tech and how you ended up coming on the team just for anybody listening that thinks maybe one day I'd like to contribute to what middle tech's doing. So tell us a little bit about, uh, the process you went through to get in touch with us. Yeah, well, uh, it was fairly easy. Um, I was,
2: I've been a fan. I don't know how long it's been a couple years now. Um, just following you all, uh, as they say on KSR, long time listener, first time caller in a way, um, <laughs> I saw when you posted the the uh post on LinkedIn that you were looking for content creators. Um, I'd I'd kinda had this dream of maybe start my own podcast, maybe starting my own substack. And, you know, I thought, you know, what the heck? They I've been following them for a long time. They seem like minded, uh, entrepreneurs, ready to get in the game and, and start their own thing and not really scared of risk, which is tough to find. I've found in Lexington there's a lot of people who who, you know, go do maybe a Lexmark or a Valvoline. Not that there's anything wrong with that by any means, but I was looking for a little bit more risk and kind of the content you all were putting out from the Founder podcast to some of the blogs, you were highlighting people that were taking risks. And I really, um, really thought that that was cool. So I thought maybe I could add something. And Evan and I talked on a Zoom call and he said, you know, the ag tech perspective that you have is very unique and, I wasn't think of it, thinking of it at that point. Um, I thought, you know, maybe I could just contribute from just a business standpoint or political standpoint or whatever it may be. And he brought up the ag tech and kind of went from there. So really effortlessly.
0: Yeah, I think that's how pretty much everyone's gotten involved up until this point. That's how I I got involved. I got to know Evan and then uh, I was just a very natural thing. Like, I think I can help out. Um, kind of got connected and just started talking through it. It's not like we have a formal interview process yet. Maybe we'll eventually grow to that point. But yeah. for now, it's just, if you're passionate about something within the realm of what we cover, uh, reach out to us and then we'll likely have a conversation with you. And uh, it's one of those things that, you know, you came on, you wrote a blog, if you provide some value and want to help out or we're all about that. Yeah. Um, so let's dive into your background real quick. Tell us a little bit about where you're from.
2: From Lexington.
0: Um, never left,
2: born here, uh, raised here, went to Tates Creek High School. Um, the Commodores, very proud of that. And went to UK after Tate's Creek and graduated from UK in 2016 with a major in agricultural economics. So I kind of have – I always had an interest in agriculture, and UK has got a phenomenal College of Ag. Um, Anybody who's thinking about going to UK, listening, uh, I urge you to go to College of Ag. There's a very hands-on program, a lot of good professors, um, good advisors. So – I really loved that, um, and I loved staying in Lexington. I, you know, you kind of always have the dream, maybe I'll go to New York, maybe I'll go to Chicago, but there's just so much here, and I was kind of awoken to that after college um, kind of from the content that you all were doing, too, that there is a lot of cool stuff going on here, and I said, you know what, I'm going to hunker down and see if I can try my hand at this. So uh, I love Lexington, there's so much good stuff about it, and
1: really never saw a, re- a good reason to leave. Yeah. And then you transitioned, you know, when you graduated, you started doing commercialization with UK. Right. Um, And we've had, you know, Ian McClure on here and uh, some other people from the commercialization department uh, at UK. Um, Talk about what that means, commercialization department at a college. What does that mean and and what does it mean to be a commercialization manager?
2: Right. So when I started the commercialization aspect, I, I came in it from... Um, an op- an entrepreneur standpoint I had a business idea for some research that was going on in UK and I think and I could be wrong about this but I think at the time there was no formal commercialization department at UK so I didn't really have a good guide at that time now now they're they've been very helpful um, in and all the folks over there they, they'll point you in the right direction with anything that you need uh, I was kind of going by the seat of my pants and uh, the way I like to describe it from a tech standpoint, maybe a tech company standpoint is it's like a a go-to market strategist or go to market manager. So you have a product manager who's maybe building out some software, building out a product for a Google. And then from there, somebody has got to figure out how to wrap up marketing strategy distribution, all of that into one job or at least under one umbrella. That's similar to a commercialization manager. Um, But when you, maybe approach it from the startup standpoint, it's, uh comes down to probably a lot like what you're doing um, with Simba. You're in a way a commercial c- commercialization manager in the aspect that you've got a product. Now, how can I fund it? Yeah. How can I develop a marketing plan, a logo, a website, all of this to get it
1: into the market? Yeah. So there's a lot of similarities to entrepreneurs and com- commercialization. Yeah, and so this research that's coming out of the university, I've got a friend doing this down in Vandy. As Well, so the research uh, is done at UK, you know, they're using UK resources and the UK has a vested interest in that research getting outside of the university. So one, that research can be, you know, uh, put out into the world and put to use and create value in the world. But two, you know, they want to be able to capitalize on the fact that they're providing these resources to, you know, great scientists and entrepreneurs. So there's a good, good marriage there that you're working hand in hand with the university, which I think is so cool. I think uh, once I started to learn more about that side of universities, I started to place a lot more, yeah. you know, value on it because, you know, when I was going through UK, I didn't really know any of that was going on. UK really didn't have any good entrepreneurship programs at that time. You know, this was 2014 to 2016. You know, they didn't really have any of that really. Right. And then once I started to learn about the commercialization office of UK and, uh, saw what they were doing, I got more, much more interested in the value that universities provide. Well,
2: there's just so many brilliant people in universities and they have
1: such good ideas,
2: but they're in the university and that ecosystem in of itself, you kind of get lost on, I'm getting funding for a cool project for my cool idea, but it could be so much more than that. Let's make this a business. Let's take it outside of the university. And instead of writing a proposal with a report and maybe a thesis for a PhD, let's try and you know, spin that into a business. Yeah,
1: no, that's awesome. And I think it's all about all about awareness too because, you know, there are a lot of amazing research projects, you know, at colleges, especially UK, but I was there and I didn't even know about any of it. Right. right? And that's just like a marketing problem. Right. You know, so if, if that's solved, I feel like, you know, uh, that side of universities, the research side, um, could be much more appreciated versus it's kind of behind the scenes right now. Right. I feel like.
2: And and Ian has done a fantastic he job. He really has. He's, he's pulled – I mean, I follow him on, on LinkedIn and he's a great follow. He's got his hand in a bunch of different colleges. I think yeah. he's pulled together Louisville with EKU, maybe Moorhead mm-hmm. state, maybe. Yeah, And they're, they're all kind of working together. We've got all of these brilliant minds. Let's put some businesses out there and put some money back into these universities and, and, it's a vicious cycle, but a very good vicious cycle.
1: Yeah, It can really scale nicely. You talk about one of the most important people from a business aspect in the state of Kentucky, Ian. Uh, I couldn't agree more. When I when they brought him in, I met him. I'm like, this this guy is. He's a beast. He's a beast. <laughs> he's he's, the, a beast. he's been an entrepreneur. He knows what he's talking about. And now he's uh, you know giving back to um, Kentucky. I think he's in Louisville. Uh, I think he, last I talked to him, I've been talking to him the last couple of weeks or so. Um, I think he splits his time between Louisville and Lexington. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, But anyways, so what about um, ag tech specifically or agriculture got you interested in it? Um, Did you grow up on a farm or anything like that? What about it?
2: Yeah, so I grew up on a farm. Both sides of my family come from farming, Um, but I spent a lot of weekends on a farm, a lot of weekends on on a a fender of a tractor while my grandfather (laughs) and my dad was driving. Uh, You learn a lot about agriculture. You learn a lot about work. Um, at the same time that I was riding on a tractor, I was learning how to, how to change the tire on the tractor. So it's a lot of good, valuable work that you can learn there. And I've always just kind of had a passion for the land and work in the land and, and being able to provide for yourself, it ever comes down to it, you know, and being able to grow your food, you're doing pretty well. Um, and I think a lot of people in Kentucky share that sentiment. I think they, they have an appreciation for Kentucky and the land I and mean, how could you, how couldn't you, you yeah. know? you got beautiful. the lakes in eastern Kentucky, the mountains, and may not be most popular, but there's good things in those mountains, uh, and you can go down to the lakes and enjoy those. Or in western Kentucky, the most beautiful cropland ever down there. Yeah. And we're, we're very efficient with the land in Kentucky. We use all of it for whatever it is. We've got a good climate. Good mm-hmm. climate. Yeah. Good, good climate, soil. Good soil. soil. Like awesome, right? I mean, it's some of the best in the world. And we got that clean water. Clean water. Yeah. Which you can... <laughs> <laughs> which uh the horses really love. They yeah. say that's a secret ingredient to fast race horses. This is limestone, yeah. right? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what, what they, they say. filtered out. And I and I've I've heard I've still not embarrassingly not been on um a bourbon tour yet Woodford or Makers, but they I say
1: we need to do a Middle Tech retreat. Oh, oh yeah. that would be awesome. Down to there Buffalo
0: Trace. Buffalo Trace is the one to go to. It's like the biggest one in oh, yeah. in America. It is incredible. But they
2: one. say they say the best way to drink bourbon is just with a little bit of tap water. Mm. Cuz the lime Mm. And I don't know what it is about this lime, but, you know, until you, until you, I always think, well, it's good with tequila, but evidently this little bit different lime,
0: uh, is good with bourbon. (laughs) So bad joke. Uh, (laughs) We'll let that one slide. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Um, so it sounds like we're talking a lot about like the basics of agriculture and now what we see this movement, this ag tech movement, it's kind of become a buzzword. We're seeing technology start to be ingrained into this really, You know this thing that humanity has been doing for since the since humans were you know came around, right? Um, So, what does ag tech? What does that mean to you? Like when you think of agricultural technology, what do you think of? Well, first off, I I think that it's it's been there
2: always. Um, There's some really cool old technology uh, that's not even been used anymore, whether it be you know a hay rake or planters of certain kinds. So anything. To me, technology is a way to become more efficient. It's a way to uh, use our resources in a better way and maybe a cleaner way, maybe Mm -hmm. a more efficient way, whatever have you. So when you put ag and agriculture and tech and technology together, it's just a way to become more efficient at the end of the day from my standpoint. How can we feed more people? Um, How can we get crops from the grounds in a more efficient way so it's not as expensive so the people that we're feeding don't have to pay as much? You know, that's extremely important, uh, especially as populations um, start to increase, uh, which they are, I think, like a billion more people by 2030 or something like right. that.
0: Yeah, you hear Jonathan Webb talk about that all the time. Right.
2: I mean, that's insane. So we've got to do something. We've got to be more efficient with the land. We've got to use our land better, but we also got to become more efficient with the land. And I think it really comes down to efficiency, and maybe that's in the, the entrepreneur in me. You've got to be more efficient. and to-
0: that's what we talk about, even with middle text processes. Like the more efficiency you have, then that just unlocks all sorts of different ways to leverage
1: right. what you're doing already. And I like your take on uh like technology's been there forever. About say. You know, it's like uh a rake is technology, right. a That's shovel te- is technology, a right. fire is technology, you know, right. all that stuff has been around forever, but for some reason now people think it's gotta be some kind of computer based uh, right. technology for it to be considered technology, but you know, uh, tools, you know, like you said, anything that makes something easier or more right. efficient is considered technology that's been around forever. Um, so it's always been there, you know, tractors.
2: And it's one, one, you could almost say that a tractor or even a car is the automation to the mule or the horse. 100%, yeah. And people have been worried. Um, I don't know if you listen to Lex Fridman, but he, he's an automation guy. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, people are always get to me, You know, come to me and they say, well, robots are going to take everything from us. Well, you could say that uh, when we we stopped using horses and and buggies and then the cars came along, and there's not going to be any more jobs be- because, you know, for whatever reason, the the car is going to take jobs. Well, there there was new jobs came into play to build the cars and build the computers. So, I think that that's a huge opportunity for even a place you know like Awesome Inc. There's got to be jobs for this new tech in 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 the world, and there's got to be jobs people have to know how to do. Ag tech, you know, maybe that's a software thing for automated robots, weed pickers, you know, anything like that. We have to have the the infrastructure to be able to support a growing in a new type of technology in agriculture. And, you know, there could be a coding class for ag software that goes into tractors and self-driving things and things like that. So there's a lot of cool things, a lot of new businesses, a lot of new opportunities for people to get into. Um, there's certainly jobs aren't going away. There's going to be more of them. They're just going to be different.
0: Yeah, I think uh, mm-hmm. Naval, who has also, he's been on Joe Rogan, he's got oh, yeah. his own podcast and stuff, and he talks about the way he views automation and job displacement is, yeah, it's going to displace a lot of people and it'll be uncomfortable, but at the end of the day, it's going to lead to more people having the creative jobs, which right. are oftentimes the more fulfilling jobs. Like, we're going to automate away the more menial tasks, right. the things that... You boring not, jobs. The boring jobs. Back- yeah. Backbreaking jobs. So, uh, overall... I think, yes, it will be uncomfortable to have all those jobs displaced, but automation is going to be something that overall at the end of the day is going to be good for, for humanity. Yeah. Um, I think that's the same, obviously that's where we're heading in in agricultural technology as well. Um, allows them to be more creative. Yeah. Um, which will, they'll figure out a way to have a new job with a creative mind. So, yep. Um, so you just talked to a little bit about it there. Uh, you know, ag tech strength uh, in Kentucky, what about the state makes it so good for ag tech, aside from some of those natural resources that we just discussed there? I think resiliency is a big thing. We have a very resilient
2: agricultural community. Um, there, I don't know the exact figures, but um, obviously tobacco is a, a big uh, cash crop in Kentucky, used to be much bigger, still is has a pretty good place in the economy now. But the price of a pound of tobacco has pretty much stayed constant since, like, the early 2000s. It's hovered right around a dollar, between a dollar 75 and two dollars, depending on how good it is. But just in the last three years alone, um, the adverse wage rate, which is what a lot of farmers get or or farm workers get paid, has increased from a dollar, eleven dollars and sixty-three cents in 2019 to twelve dollars and ninety-six cents. In 2021, that's that's you know two dollars, almost two dollars, uh, of an increase on the labor that it takes to get that tobacco out of the field, um, and they're still producing it, and they're still making money, and they're still making their farm payments. So what happens, and why I think Kentucky's is, is could be such a good place for ag tech is that we have those those brilliant minds that even with increasing cost and 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 changing weather patterns. They're still finding a way to get this job done. So what I think is what we can do is let's give them technology. Let's give them automation, and then let's see what they could do. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, I think, what, if you give them – if we share this technology that we're working on, that people like AgTech are working on – or, excuse me, App AppHarvest are working on, um, and, and put it into the farmer's hands, they're going to be able to produce a lot because they do it with so little right
1: now. Yeah, Speaking so, of the state, um, this is uh, – a question that I think about um, sometimes, but I think we've done a good job navigating it. But do you think uh, there is a branding problem with Kentucky, with things like tobacco and coal, both considered, you know, dirty and, you know, towards, you know, how, what does to environment or does it to people? Right. Uh, I don't know what the answer is, but is there a branding problem when it comes to resources that come out of Kentucky and we sell to the rest of the world?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think so. And, you know, it's always, it's always relative, right? Yeah. Um, Florida produces a lot of sugar, and sugar does a lot of bad things to people. Yeah, yeah. And it's all kind of relative how it's marketed, it's and how it's perceived, and you can't always control perception. Yeah. yeah. Um, but along with a bad brand, I think there's ways uh, to overcome that, and I think part of it is that a lot of the people in Kentucky are prideful of it. They they are proud of what they produce. They're proud, maybe not that the way that it's been perceived and maybe in the country or the world, but they're proud of, of the, the work that they did in the coal mines, or they're, they're proud mm-hmm.
1: of the, wor- the work that they did in the tobacco field. I think so, they should be, right? Right. Because, like, we powered the United States. Right. Like, us in West Virginia, like, that's where coal, and it's you know, is good it's, coming out of. And it's gotten a lot better. It's gotten a lot cleaner. And you don't know what you don't know. Like, right. Like, <laughs> back in the day when they were first starting to get coal or, yeah. you know, farming tobacco. Right. Like, the research just may, might not have been there. Right, but, exactly. But, you know, we were powering the world with our coal. And then I don't know what positive things ever happened from tobacco, uh, but we made a lot of money. It, it, people made a lot of money and that well, might have were, spun into some other things.
2: I, I, there's not a lot with positive for tobacco, but yeah, I know yeah. a lot of people get it. You know, they do get a little bit of a stress relief from it, which bad or good. It, it helps them maybe get through their day. Definitely not taken up for it by any means. Yeah. <laughs> I don't condone that at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it contributes to a lot of people's livelihoods yeah. too in, in Kentucky. And I think it's important that we don't, you know, throw out the baby with the bathwater, kind of like what we did with coal. Let's not throw away something um, that's good now before we have something to come in and replace it. And I feel like that's kind of what happened with hemp. You know, everybody was all ready to replace tobacco and and let's bring in hemp. And then hemp happened. And I have not heard a lot about it. And I'm, I'm I am don't know anything case. about hemp. You
1: know, I think yeah. uh, what, what's going on in Kentucky related to hemp? Because I, you know, <laughs> I hear about it here and there. But I don't know anything about
2: it. That's the million-dollar question. A lot of people are like, "What? You know, what happened? What the heck happened?" And from what I can be able to tell, we've got a little bit of a couple projects going with it. Some some harvesting and things like that in field harvesting, and the price just went way down. I think the the, the market got over flooded, and. When that happens and there's a lot of supply, the price goes way down and you can't produce it anymore. Yeah, it's not and, economical to
1: farm. Right.
2: Yeah. And that's that's a that's kind of a testament to what I was talking about with a resilient and knowledgeable grower base and farming base that we have in Kentucky. Is that you give those guys about three years, which is what about how long Kentucky was up and going in hemp, and they'll oversupply a market. <laughs> pretty quickly. That's a good point. And they they've never even maybe their father, maybe their grandfather grew it back when it was legal in the early 1900s, but this generation had never grown it before. So, it's it was it's it was insane to watch and they did it with high labor rates, not a lot of automation or mechanization. It was a lot of backbreaking work. So, it was just amazing to watch the oversupply of a market happen in such little time.
1: Yeah. We, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this cause we can dedicate a whole episode to it, but related to hemp is marijuana. Yeah. All right. Wait, I don't want to get into. I feel like the spotlight too just Because I would down. love to have a full episode <laughs> on this topic. Um, what's going on and why haven't we started uh, legalizing marijuana in Kentucky? I'm sh- I'm sure I know the reasons. Uh, yeah. I can name a two right off the top of my head. Name them. Name them. They're probably protecting the bourbon industry. And, uh, you know, very conservative people who make our decisions in Kentucky. Right. And, you know, I think they're just, uh, in a lot of ways, ignorant towards, right. you know, where the world's heading, whether yeah. that's sports betting, which we've already talked about, uh, on, on our podcast, Shout out to the H. reason that I don't know, I don't know why in the world sports betting wouldn't be legal right. in this state. Yeah. Um, but I just think our officials in the government, um, are just a little bit too stuck in their ways. So those are two reasons. But yeah. I, I don't know. what's What's your take on well, marijuana in Kentucky?
2: I I think it should be legalized. 100% recreational, m- medicinal, um, all of it. I I love love markets. I love watching markets work. Oh, I love that. And we could talk about that for hours. And and that's kind of why my biggest thing with tobacco. I didn't really. I wasn't a, I Didn't love starting a, a business in tobacco. It's extremely hard to raise money, but there's no price supports on tobacco anymore. You know, the government's not giving anybody any money. Uh, if, if their tobacco doesn't sell for what it should, they'll get insurance if something disastrous happens, but it's a, it's a true market, you know, part of the reason why the price hasn't increased over the past few years. Well, it's because the market doesn't call for it. So that's what I think is so cool about marijuana is that you can just produce it and someone will buy it. There's, you don't need to have any price supports like corn and soybeans and things like that. So that's one thing I think could really help the farming community and in, in the, and in the, and the the exit of tobacco is marijuana. Um, I think there's something to figure out, and I think a lot of the a lot of the delay, just personally, uh, comes from how are we going to grow it? You know, what do people like? Do you know if you're gonna if, if you're gonna smoke this thing? Is it gonna is it gonna do the same thing in your brain every single time? Right? We don't know a lot about genetics or what certain climates do to it. You know, there's a lot of things that we still don't know about, and
1: I think with when, the market, like back to your market point, like right. if you just open it up, it, it would be like, that stuff would be figured out faster than if you didn't open it up.
2: Yeah. I mean, you, you can go get a, a bottle of hemp juice and this isn't comparable. I mean, it's comparable to marijuana, just not exactly. Hemp oil and mm-hmm. at the local, you know, gas station gas that's filthy on the inside and you don't know what is in that. You know, <laughs> yeah. There's no oversight of what is yeah, in that. That's a good point. And if somebody, if you go and buy a a bag of marijuana for medicinal purposes even, how do we know what's actually in there? You know, what's what's the strain? You know, there's a lot of things we need to figure out. And is it going to be indoor? Is it going to be outdoor? Yeah. If they open it up right now, are we going to see an influx of warehouses being built so they can all grow it indoors and then our farmers get locked out of it? Hmm. There's a lot of things to figure out. So I don't think there is definitely ignorance, but I think that the, the government's trying to get into the market and... It's not going to be good, as we've seen with hemp and things like that.
1: Uh, Interesting. Uh,
2: they're, they're, they probably think they're doing more good right now than they are. But oversight, you have to have oversight. Uh, it's a necessary evil.
0: Uh, so I think there's a lot of that you
2: know, kind of going
0: on. Yeah. yeah. And not to uh, switch, switch lanes here, but you mentioned it there, starting a company. So talk a little bit about stock commodities and, and what you're doing and your experience with that. I just, for our listeners that may not know yeah, your background on that.
2: Well, so stock commodities, uh, kind of like we talked about in, in the commercialization discussions and tobacco and things like that, it was just it was born out of an idea that I had in college to take some research that was going on at UK, which involved uh, the separation of tobacco leaves from the plant. So I like to describe it as a rose. If you, if you give your girlfriend, fiance, wife a, a bundle of roses, 12 roses... You give them the roses. You don't give them a rose bush. Mm. So what I had the idea of is, and not the idea, but I I wanted to form an idea of an automatic way to separate the usable part of a plant from the actual stalk that, you know, sits in the ground. Mm. And, you know, that can be applied to a lot of things, tobacco, hemp, marijuana, um, some other things that even are going on at UK. You've got to be able to efficiently get a usable part of the plant. You know, combines do it for corn. There wasn't, there isn't a lot of it for some more difficult crops. So that's what I set out to work on with stock commodities. And we've had pretty good success with folks coming in from out of state, out of country to Kentucky because of our farming community, know how to grow this stuff, but they have this totally new plant that they don't really know how to automatically harvest because maybe it was brought from China or brought from a place where they can really have, they have the labor to do it by hand, but as labor costs grow here. Um, they need to be doing it with tractors and mechanization automation so that's that's the idea behind it and it's it's tough you know we do a lot of research and development i've gotten very good at welding because i have got to build something kind of on on the fly to take mm. to a demo it's not i can't develop an app real quick as much as i wish i could i can't just type out or hire a few developers we've got to put steel to steel and weld it together and take it out in a field so it's a lot about what i that's a lot of what i do is R&D and figure out solutions to uh, efficiently get a usable part of the plant into the consumer's hand yeah. or the downstream company's hand.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so one of the companies that is working on uh, you know, efficiently growing plants here in Kentucky and getting it to consumers and doing it in a little bit more of a novel way uh, is App Harvest. So give us your take on App Harvest, both uh, the good part, and then there's got to be a sense of skepticism as right. well. So, what, what's your take on you know app harvest?
2: Well, there's two. There's two good things. They're very good marketers. And they're very good storytellers. Um, that's huge nowadays. I think we started the conversation either before the mics were on or 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 just after about marketing is huge. It's a marketing issue, and they they're very good at that. And that's bringing attention to agriculture uh, for good or for worse. You know, it's necessary attention that we have a problem with food insecurity in America. We've got to do something about it. And they're offering a solution. I like to describe the produce at Kroger these days is that they have a permanent Instagram filter on them. They're beautiful tomatoes. App Harvest produces beautiful tomatoes. But the thing about it is, is that people don't like cracked tomatoes, if they, if you see a, if you're at Kroger and you see a cracked tomato, or if you see a, a perfect tomato, an Instagram filter tomato, which one are you going to grab? Hmm. You know, it's always going to be the beautiful tomato. Right. And I talk with farmers who grow both indoor and smaller greenhouses, as well as outdoor tomatoes. And, and, you know, they say you've got to pretty much grow them indoor nowadays because the standards are so high at the consumer level you got to put out a beautiful tomato. And that's what I think App Harvest is really on, too. Um, they're really figuring out a way to do that at scale and, and feed a lot of people. And I think their logistics model of being within, I don't know, what is it, three hours of...
1: 70% of the population I mean, that's, in the United States. It's, yeah. I mean, it's awesome. a yeah. drive, yeah. yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah I think the... The overall story that they've been able to tell as well as their execution on this first first farm has been great. Right. And it's very impressive. I think Um, the
2: shareholders might disagree with you at this point. Well, (laughs) that's what
1: I kind of want to transition to was, you know, they've done an amazing job executing so far the project and the marketing. uh, But there's, you know, obviously the business and the economic side of it has to make sense. And so far, there's no sign that it it, it will. Right. At least right now. Right. Based on their last earnings. um. You know, what, what's your take on any kind of skepticism you might have long-term? Because personally, long-term, I think it ha- it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Everything is pointing towards that has to happen. Right. And unfortunately, in the short term, they're going through some, you know, struggles. Right. Uh, but what what is your take on what's going on? I right think
2: now? they're going to figure it out. Yeah. I think uh, they've got a lot of money, which helps. And I think they're going to, I think they've got the know-how of the management team. The management team, you know, I hear they may not be from Kentucky or they may not be in tomatoes or agriculture even, but they know how to solve problems yeah. and that's the best thing that you can have on a management team. How do we fix this problem? And I think they've built a world-class way to solve problems and that's all they have at this point. The economics and the business thing is a problem to solve. A uh, lower, lower share price, excuse me, is a problem that they have to solve. And the only, I think, issue maybe that they have, and I, don't, and I didn't see a lot of detail, Um, in the, in the report about, you know, what was, what was the, the revenue, um, the reduction in revenue? What did that come from? Why did they not meet, you know, their goals? yeah they didn't
1: do a great job explaining that kind of stuff. Right.
2: So was it, did they have a bunch, did they produce a lot of tomatoes? Maybe did they produce a lot of tomatoes with cracks in them and they, they, their distributors wouldn't take the nice, pretty tomatoes. If that's the case, that's just another problem to solve. I'm not sure that that's what it is, but. Know, it can only be a you know a few things from a production and and labor standpoint that I think those are the two keywords that they used in their issues. So I think they're making the right moves to make their model work. Mm-hmm. My only um, my biggest issue, I should say, kind of with the the story that they're telling is that this is the future of farming, and that narrative to me the way I receive it I might be a little bit biased, but this is the future of farming and this is the only way that farming is going to happen. That's kind of how I take it. And I'm a little bit worrisome of that. I think that that's kind of like, uh, we can't have coal anymore and let's kick it out. Let's kick out old farming and let's bring in this new type of farming. I don't think there's a, there's always more than one way to skin the cat. And, and I think if we can all kind of work cohesively, um, outdoor farming and indoor farming, we'll be able to do a lot of good. And I'm not, you know, obviously saying that's their intention. That's just kind of how I've received it. And I think that that's kind of a little bit of a skepticism of mine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think we have to, you know, I think to date, you know, there hasn't been a lot of skepticism. There hasn't been a lot of, you know, questioning because right. it's all been so positive. Right. And it, as it should be, I mean, the, what they pulled off was absolutely amazing. What they're doing right now is absolutely amazing. And I really want it to work out, but like, you know, we, we have to start approaching it from more skeptical you know, standpoint. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's a, that's first of all, that's our responsibility. You know, as uh, I wouldn't, I mean, journalists. You know, we have to put out both sides of the story. And so far, um, I don't know if we've been skeptical enough, which we, you know, we have a duty to do that. Now they're right. a public company, right? You know, we could do that in a way that uh, is appropriate, right? Because we're not just being pure skeptics, uh, because there's numbers out now that we can judge them on. And frankly, you know, their last numbers were. You know we can be super skeptical right right um, and so we' we're, we're gonna continue to talk about you know app harvest and get more perspectives but um, yeah we have uh, some plans on that and you know it's our duty to do that right yeah I think it's super interesting what's
0: going on like right now just in terms of the world as a whole and we see things like the climate crisis starting to rear its head we're seeing more intense storms we're seeing these wildfires and especially this prod this problem that app harvest is trying to solve with food insecurity like how quickly are we going to reach that to where it's at a critical tipping point versus we're trying to get a business stood up to where it supports itself all on its own and it's one of those things it's like you always want the answer to be that the market solves that like you were saying you want it to be a viable business you want it to be something that doesn't have to have other you know government interference with in any way But it's like, at what point do we have no other choice other than to just like push this thing with everything we've got to get it to that point to where we're solving problems of food insecurity. And I hope it doesn't come anytime soon. And I also hope that App Harvest manages to figure it out and just build a viable business. But it is something worth thinking about is like, how close are these tipping points for these major problems that the world is facing right now that we don't have a choice, but to just push it across the, push it along in any way we can. And I see a lot of what Jonathan Webb has done with App Harvest is like, he just seems like a man that is with incredible urgency built, built this company. And now there's these different types of problems that are, are popping up with that. But yeah. I yeah. think he literally sees that problem is so close to us that that's the only way he sees to build this company is like, Hey, we've got to, we've got to figure this out by any means possible. Right. Um, which I think is probably an appropriate way to think.
2: And he's, t- he's taken it kind of a, a bunch of different um things and, and, Situations on at once, you know. It's the climate crisis. It's it's food insecurity, and it's like he said, app harvest can contribute to all of those things. Can be beneficial to all of those things. But you know, how cheap is his power to be able to essentially recreate an atmosphere inside of a greenhouse?
1: I've heard of that. This might be his biggest problem: is the cost of that electricity. We
2: we don't know. Uh, There's, I think, guidance can come out on that, and and I no, I don't know. I'm I can only imagine, and from the farmers that I've talked to who do it on a smaller scale, it's extremely, it takes a lot of power to build an atmosphere, build build another world, a perfect world in inside a greenhouse. So that's something that, that while, yes, you know, all recycled water, we're using all recycled water. There, there's always these positive things that he's doing. But I also think there's some some things under the rug that probably need to be shaken out for this thing to really go and
1: to reduce the skepticism. Yeah. It's such a wet, it's like a, such a wet dream right now for much of the media. Right. Yeah. 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 It's it's like, it's (laughs) definitely not easy to tell a story as well as Jonathan Webb is doing. Yeah. He's such a great marketer and, and storyteller, but at the same time, the media is just eating I know. it up. I'm sure he could just shove something yeah. on somebody's desk at CNN or somewhere. <laughs> what and was they'll the, be like, all day, every day, right now, put that on yeah. right now.
2: What was the Trump line? I could go to uh, Fifth Park Avenue and shoot somebody and they would still love me. <laughs> it's just like, it's the same kind of stuff. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of not, definitely not, con- you know, contrasting Jonathan Webb and Donald Trump, but there's a lot of things that people will just take and run with a lot of the times it's because they need positivity. They yeah, need some scenario. positive, especially absolutely. in Appalachia.
1: Yeah. We need it there. There's so many stories that he's able to tell out of this, and it's awesome. And yeah. Again, it goes back to he's built such a great team. Right. Like, his team is helping him, you know, with his PR. He's got the right people that open the right doors. That, right. You know, I said it was easy to walk into the scene, and it's not. No. But at the same time. <laughs> not at all. At the same time. But it seems to me. They're like, eating it up. Yeah. You know, like, they're doing so many specials, and it's amazing to see that and put, put a light on Kentucky. So he's yeah. absolutely killed it from that perspective, and, yep. you know, it's it's awesome to see that happening. Um, let's talk about, you know, one other thing with the state, uh, I guess two things is, uh, what is the state government doing well around ag tech right now? You know, they're starting, you know, Brashear starting to talk about it more. Uh, do you have an opinion on how the, the state is handling, you know, our ability to become the ag tech capital of the world, which is what you know Jonathan wants it to become and right. several others. So what's your take on the government right now? Well,
2: I think first of all, the best thing that they, they are doing right now is not renewing the unemployment extra unemployment benefits that we had during COVID. I think getting people back to work um, is that's going to help that push that along. Uh, I think three the extra $300 that they have been um, sending to people who are unemployed ends in September six, I think is what it is. So getting people out working is going to be the best thing that they've done. I really think that's a good, a good thing. But from, from what I've been able to tell the best, the other thing that they've done really well is just say, Hey, We're going to put our foot forward as the ag tech capital of the country, and we're open for business. There's a whole website dedicated to it. They've they've offered up ways to uh, get UK and other universities involved for research and uh, loan programs and things like that. So they're doing what they can and investing where they can um, to let people know that they're open for business. And I think that's huge. I mean, I think that's a lot of people don't want to put that take that risk and put and say, I want to do this. I want to become the ag tech capital of the world. Uh, and I think they have a very good partnership with Jonathan Webb. He's definitely helped that narrative. Um, so that's the best thing. I think that they're doing it's, it's, we're open for business. We want
0: to be this. Let's do it. Let's go to work. And what do you think they're missing right now? What they, what could they be doing better to make that happen? Um, well, it was rural
2: broadband. I think, Mm. um, internet of things is going to be a huge part of the future of farming um as we put out today on social uh uk has got autonomous delivery robots now yeah. um th- that same thing could be happening in the fields but in order for those little guys for lack of a better term to know <laughs> where they're going they got to have internet and in the middle of a cornfield i I don't know for sure, but I can, hi- I'm skeptical about their <laughs> internet uh, in the middle of the cornfield. Yeah. So that's, I think, going to be huge going forward that they weren't working on before. But I think with COVID and, and people not being able to go to school and maybe go to a parking lot at the local library uh, to use the Wi-Fi, that's kind of woken them up to that. So what they weren't doing before, I think, was rural broadband, and
0: I, I think they're doing a lot better on it now. Yeah. Speaking of internet of things and kind of what we've talked about on this podcast of bringing internet, especially to rural places like Appalachia, I just saw SpaceX acquired a company called Swarm, which specializes in that internet of things for the more remote spots mm-hmm. to even as things as small as just collecting data. Um, you know, that broadband problem and having internet everywhere you need it to be, I feel like that's going to be such a rubber band type release. Like when, cause it seems close, like with SpaceX, I just saw they shipped like 100,000 terminals here recently, and I'm still on the wait list for a terminal, actually. Yeah. I feel like once that finally hits and we finally get worldwide connection, pretty much anywhere you're on the world, you're able to connect to the internet. That seems like it's just going to be a rubber band for innovation. Yeah. Automation is one of those major, major things that I see shifting there as well. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that they that they did acquire Swarm, but that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's one of the one of the more recent acquisitions that I've been kind of following along with. I need to dive more into Swarm and what they do, but it's Swarm is really tiny cube sats uh, that uh, that are not doing the exact same thing SpaceX is. I don't think they're considered direct competitors, but anyway, well, man, this has been an awesome conversation around AgTech. This is exactly the conversation that we wanted to kind of kick your position off with. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people are gonna really, really enjoy this episode because we get people all the time reaching out to us. Um, that was actually one of the main feedback points we got when we asked for feedback from our audience was we want to hear more about ag tech. So we're super excited to have you on, man. Yeah. Other than that, tell us where we can follow you on social media so that our, our followers can find you and we'll give you a little plug. I have an Instagram, a link in a day. Uh, also you could follow stock commodities as my company
2: it was uh, s-t-a-l-k-c-o-m-m-o-d-i-t-i-e-s um, and then on linkedin is lincoln day and that's the three ones that i'm active on
0: cool cool awesome. thanks yeah thanks for coming in